As Joe Biden is facing falling popularity numbers of uh, below 39% uh, in the 30s is where his popularity numbers are overall. His approval rating has tumbled to the lowest ever for a sitting uh, president in recent memory. Meantime, the crime statistics and crime numbers and crime reporting has shown a 70% increase across many places in the United States, including New York City, where I am, where this Michael New York podcast is aired, produced, put together, whatever you want to call it. But uh, that is the situation in New York City. We are getting more and more and more and more and more crime on a daily basis. You know, it's it, it's it's getting so bad, you know, that, that you actually go back and look at old crime dramas on TV. And when police actually used to respond and prosecutors actually used to prosecute cases, these old shows from like the 70s and 80s that you can find online and you watch them just because you remember, oh, that, that's that's what the law was for back then. You know, that's what the law was made for. Right now, you, you, you have a government that is giving away crack pipes. Yes, that's right. They're giving away crack pipes uh, and is basically just doing whatever they can to make life worse for people across the United States. Inflation is at 7.5%. Gas prices, gas prices, $3.49 a gallon is the national average, uh, pretty much, according to the American Automobile Association, or AKA AAA. And not only that, they're taking gangbangers, these kids uh, that are not really kids, but many of them are members of cartel-based gangs, and they're flying them all across the United States. Now, Governor DeSantis of Florida has something to say about that. Discussing today, uh, and really getting great perspective on the uh, disastrous border policies of the Biden administration, and then Florida's position that we don't want to be facilitating which are very harmful policies, not only in terms of the rule of law, not only in terms of what drug cartels may be introducing into our country, but also the treatment of people who are basically being trafficked um, as part of what is effectively the largest human smuggling operation in American history, illegal, illegal uh, operation. And so, um, you know, our perspective is that, that those are bad policies. You know, if you look at um, just the absolute explosion of illegal uh, migrants across the southern border. It's unlike anything we've ever seen. Just go back to 2020, it was a much different situation. And we in the state of Florida actually sent support last summer uh, to help Texas and to help interdict. The problem is, you know, you interdict and then you give them to the feds and then the feds will do things like fly people in the middle of the night at two in the morning and drop them off. Uh, they will provide, you know, bus, all this other stuff and then put into different communities. Uh so let's listen to what exactly Ron DeSantis, who's the governor of Florida, he's the one speaking. So this is what the federal government is doing. If the states catch someone illegally crossing the border, enemy of the United States without papers and, and violating federal law, it is illegal to cross a border at an improper border crossing. It is still on the books. Congress has not changed that law. That law still exists. It is illegal to do that act. It is a violation of law. But as the governor of Florida says, this is what the federal government does. We'll do things like fly people in the middle of the night at two in the morning and drop them off. Uh, they will provide, you know, bus, all this other stuff, and then put into different communities. Um, 
nobody, there's no papers, no one, I mean, no one knows who the hell any a lot of these people are. So it's chaos. Um, but the thing that really stuck out to me were two things. One, um, I don't, I don't, I think most people understand this. This is not like Mexicans coming across by and large. These are people from all over the world. I mean, when we were there, we saw people from Africa, the Middle East, South America, you name it. The APB has basically gone out to say, why would you want to go through three years of an immigration uh, uh, process? Uh, you know, it takes us years to vet. So like, we want to bring a doctor in from like Nigeria. It takes like three years or maybe even more. Why would you want to go through that? Just come across the border illegally and you're basically home free. And so uh, just the total breadth of people that were coming from so many different places around the world. I mean, there's actually countries that are closer to Florida um, are closer to, you know, the U.S., but they're going all the way through this roundabout. The other thing that really stuck out was when our folks were interdicting people, they would be asking, you know, where would you like to go? And a lot of them said Florida. Now, I mean, that's true. I mean, like you look at where people from failed states in the United States want to go, they want to come to Florida. Uh, and I guess people that are fleeing, you know, you know, bad places, you know, not that they're anything that and we'll talk a little bit more about Pedro Pan and, and the communists and everything. I mean, they're not they're not qualified as refugees because they just want to be in America for whatever reason. Um, and so but it was a huge amount of so people when we sent the, the, the folks to help. They're like, well, this is a Texas problem. This is a border. What does that have to do with Florida? It does have to do with Florida, unfortunately. I wish it had nothing to do, um, but it does. And so so that was what we were um, able to do now. And we have some folks here going to discuss some of the stuff. I just think, like, you know, there's a lot of bad um, um, analogies that get made in modern political discourse. But to equate what's going on with the southern border, with mass trafficking of humans, illegal entry, drugs, all this other stuff, with Operation Pedro Pan, quite frankly, is disgusting. Uh, it's wrong. It is not even close to the same thing. We had people that were coming because they were fleeing a communist dictatorship that was persecuting them. Those are not illegal immigrants. These are people that were sanctioned to come by the United States government. You know, and I've talked with Max Alvarez, some of these other people, and said, if Cuba was free in the 1960s, we would have never accepted communist refugees into this country. We were doing it uh, because it was the right thing to do, but it was also consistent with our national interest in fighting communism and the same reason, and we had a lot of obviously involvement in Cuba over the years, same reason why people fleeing the communist regime in Vietnam, welcome into the United States. We had, had of course, a lot of involvement there. Um, and so to equate those things uh, with what we're seeing there, it's just frankly wrong. Um, and it's not something that I think most people that have any sense of what's going on uh, would, would think that that's something that's good. Uh, so that's Governor DeSantis. Now he was talking about Pedro Pan, which is a which is a program wherein uh, people fleeing from uh, violent communist regimes, either in uh, Cuba and uh, Vietnam and other places, who came to the United States, settled down, and uh, you know chose to rebuild their lives here. Uh, they, of course, uh, you know got a new chance, and uh, many many of them, uh, you know, uh, came came uh, eventually to to stay here. My own family, my my grandmother. Uh, was you know a victim of uh, the communist regime in, in Russia, the Bolsheviks, and uh, she settled down in uh, San Francisco in California. Unfortunately, now if she were still living, she'd probably be you know <laughs> rushing anywhere to get out of there because 
there was one thing she taught us was the minute you see that you know situation happening then then you've got a problem but the problem of course most of us in the united states tend to forget is that the democrats just want to have more uh you know social programs that have no sense whatsoever in order to be able to create a uh, peon class you know peons are this are this uh almost slave-like workers who who work in Mexico and basically they work for a patron. Now a patron is is what we would call a patron. Now a patron takes care of the community or whatever and you would think it's 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 all benevolent. Well a lot of times it, it's a means of oppression. And the patronage system in politics is a system that basically allows a lot of abuse and 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 uh, it, it may have some, you know, thought of it uh, as as a form of governance. Uh, in some small scale, and maybe it can be useful in some places, in some areas, but when you have a national patronage system, then you have problems, and usually corruption. And the biggest issue right now that's being raised about this corruption and this patronage process is a program that, for all we know, was suggested by, uh, you know, the, the first crackhead, uh, I mean, the first uh, crackhead son, uh, I mean, the son of uh, President um, Biden, uh, you know, uh hunter biden who you know it's nationally known you know he's got videotapes of himself smoking crack uh you know and and uh hanging around with prostitutes and doing whatever crappy stuff uh while he uh sells uh artwork to uh chinese billionaires and communist party officials for hundreds of thousands of dollars uh I, i'm not even making this stuff up you can't make this stuff up it is that weird so the great plan of the uh, Biden administration now to deal with a national addiction problem is to get more people addicted. Uh, they're now giving away crack pipes. Yes, $30 million of taxpayer money, your tax money, your tax dollars at work, hard at work, when there are you know millions of people across the United States in, in dire need of, of uh, many things that, that can get them out of poverty. Well, they want to make them more addicted to things as horrible as crack. And here is what they're talking about in the United States Congress when this program was revealed. Mr. President. The Senator from South Dakota. Thank you, Mr. President. I ask unanimous consent to speak for up to 15 minutes prior to scheduled roll call vote. Without objection. Thank you, Mr. President. Mr. President, the average American household spent an estimated $3,500 more in expenses last year as a result of inflation, $3,500. Now that may not sound like much to a wealthy Democrat politician, but for most American families, that's a lot of money. For a lot of families, $3,500 is the difference between putting something in savings or living paycheck to paycheck. An additional $3,500 in expenses can mean having to forego essential home repairs or needed car work. It can mean putting off braces for a child or foregoing needed medical care. Now, the White House Chief of Staff may have the budget to regard inflation as a high-class problem, which is how she referred to it, described it. But for ordinary Americans, inflation is a very real problem, a problem that is eating up their wage increases and lowering, lowering their standard of living. Mr. President, we are in the midst of an inflation crisis supply chain crisis, as if those weren't enough, a border crisis. Huge numbers of illegal immigrants are pouring across our southern border and have been pouring across our southern border for months, creating a security, enforcement, 
and humanitarian nightmare. So there's a lot for our country's leadership in Washington to be focused on right now. So what is the majority party doing about these crises? Well, not much. In fact, most of the time you can be forgiven for thinking that neither the president nor Democrat leaders even realize there's an inflation crisis or a supply chain crisis or a border crisis. The president, for one, seems to be hoping that if he ignores these crises for long enough, they'll just go away. So what are the president and congressional Democrats doing with their time if they're not addressing our border crisis or inflation crisis? Well, Mr. President, for one thing, they're attempting to double down on the strategy that helped get us into this mess in the first place. That's right. That inflation crisis Democrats would like to ignore is actually something they helped create by flooding the economy with excessive government spending in their so-called American Rescue Plan last March. And for months, they've tried to double down on that bill with another massive spending spree that would flood the economy with more government money and undoubtedly make the inflation crisis worse. The president has attempted to justify this massive spending legislation by claiming that it will help inflation. Right. So the first massive spending spree helps push us into an inflation crisis, but a second massive spending spree will fix it. I'm pretty sure that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. The massive inflation concerns haven't stopped Democrats. After all, why deal with a boring inflation crisis when you could be thinking of new ways to expand the federal government, new ways of taxing Americans to pay for it? Of course, Democrats' Build Back Better plan isn't all tax hikes. Democrats did manage to include a tax break in their tax and spending proposal, a tax break for blue state millionaires. And if they succeed in passing it, I'm sure wealthy Democrat donors will be grateful. While an inflation crisis has raged, Democrats have pushed for new ways to spend taxpayer dollars and expand the reach of the federal government into Americans' lives. A huge expansion of government's involvement in child care that would disadvantage the religious providers so many Americans choose for their children. A massive increase in the size of the IRS. A proposal to allow the IRS to examine the details of Americans' banking transactions. Energy policies that would drive up the cost of electricity and gasoline for American families. Billions for priorities like tree equity and environmental justice programs at well-funded colleges and universities. Mr. President, the list goes on. But it would be unfair for me to suggest that Democrats have expended all their energy on tax and spending sprees. The administration has also found time to implement provisions of Democrats' original spending spree, the American Rescue Plan, including, apparently, until they got caught, free government crack pipes, and other drug paraphernalia. Uh, Democrats have also, of course, have spent a lot of time pushing election legislation that they hope will give them an advantage come November. And on the COVID front, the administration struggled with testing, but it has found time for vaccine and mask mandates, some of which I believe have far exceeded the administration's authority. Fortunately, the courts have stepped in to check some of the administration's excesses like the administration's attempt to impose a vaccine mandate on large private sector employers or the administration's decision to impose a mass mandate for two-year-olds. 
Yes, the two-year-olds. Your Democrat government at work, ladies and gentlemen. In November, the administration issued a mass mandate for Head Start programs requiring all children two years of age and up to be masked inside and outside, out on the playground. Now, is there scientific evidence to support this? Not really. World Health Organization, in fact, recommends against, against masking for children age five and under. But that hasn't stopped the administration. Democrats seem determined that nothing, including science, will pry their masks from them, or perhaps I should say pry our children's masks from them, since Democrat politicians have not always demonstrated the consistency in mask wearing that they expect from our children. <coughs> Democrats wonder why Republicans think we should be careful about how much power we give the federal government. Mr. President, if Democrats really wanted to help American families, they'd be focusing on our inflation and supply chain crises and addressing the security nightmare posed by our border crisis. Instead, they're busy focusing on ways to secure their hold on power and vastly expand the reach of the federal government into Americans' lives. I guess we'll have to see how that strategy works out for them. Mr. President, I yield the floor. And with that, of course, you know, you, you, you listen to these things and you look at it, you know, and, and, and it's like, you know, free needles, free crack pipes, free drugs. Um, you know, when, when Senator John Tooney of uh, South Dakota talks, about these things, you, you kind of think, well, like, you know, he's he's from the Hicks, he's from Dakota, you know, he's from way out there, the Upper Midwest, uh, and uh, these people, uh, you know, don't understand the inner cities and all those things. No, they they actually do. They they've gone through the same problems that much of America has when it comes to drugs, and the idea of you know, free crack pipes, free needles, free drugs. It's just uh, horrible. But then you come up with something uh, unbelievable, basically. Uh, you, you you think about it and, and you wonder, you wonder exactly uh what it all means what's it all about why they're doing what they're doing and you try and figure it out and then you you know you hear this music ah yes Well, if you were raised in the 70s, uh, born in the 70s and, and uh, raised in the 80s, you probably know that music very well. Uh, that is from a, a TV show called The Streets of San Francisco. Uh-huh. 
And uh, well, now, 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 now we're hearing. Um, we're not making this up. You, you can't make this up. Um, that the streets of San Francisco are actually paying homeless people to be homeless and live out in the streets of San Francisco. Yes, the city of is it the city? Is it the state? Uh, you know, this is something that it just it just makes you wonder what were they thinking or what are they thinking when they do things like this uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I love San Francisco. I used to, used to live there as a kid, uh, went to AP Giannini Middle School, uh, you know, for like the seventh grade, sixth grade. Um, and, and, you, and you try and figure out what exactly is, is going on. And, um, you know, Basically, uh, this man who is an old school junkie uh, is is paid six hundred and twenty dollars a month. Uh, that pays for his Amazon Prime and his Netflix, and you know, cops treat him like neighbors. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll let the article speak for itself. Uh, uh, you know. So, you know, this is something that yeah. I'm just going to let the computer read the article. It was in, the in San Francisco, it takes one phone call. Old school junkie says he moved to Walk City because he gets $1.620 a month. It pays for his Amazon Prime and Netflix and cops are like neighbors. James, a self-proclaimed junkie living in San Francisco, says the city's soft on crime policies and government assistance make it easy to be homeless. He shared how he receives $620 cash and 200 food stamps each month while he sells Narcan to addicts and enjoys streaming services on his phone. This right now is literally by choice, literally by choice. If we're going to be realistic, they pay you to be homeless here. James said San Francisco is plagued by drug addiction and homelessness. Mayor London Breed recently launched an emergency campaign to crack down on open-air drug use and drug dealing in the city's crime-ravaged downtown Tenderloin neighborhood. The city also opened a new linkage center that connects homeless addicts with rehab facilities on January 18th. Meanwhile, President Biden also aims to battle drug addiction with his $30 million grant program intending to provide funds to nonprofits and local governments to make drug use safer to advance racial equity. Yeah, so they want to advance racial equity by making more drug use possible. How on earth does that help racial equity? <sighs> Only in America, some would say. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. But you know, we're talking about the. You know, we 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 were we were we were we were talking about there the the streets of San Francisco. Francisco. From there, we take you to the streets of New York. Yes, indeed, the streets of New York. 
where not even diplomats are safe. Yes, a South Korean diplomat was attacked. His nose is broken. And uh, this all happened right on the street. The 53-year-old man was walking with a friend, uh, was just attacked without provocation in Manhattan. Uh, it is part of the ongoing wave of violence that even Mayor Eric Adams admits is happening in New York City. And uh, it is it is a growing rampaging problem. Uh, it's part of the reason why I don't get as much exercise as, 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 as I could. I would love to be able to just like, you know, take the subway, go into the city, walk around Central Park. It's such a beautiful park. There's other places, you know, you, you can go all the way up to, to the Bronx. There's beautiful parks up there. There's these beautiful, uh, wonderful converted estates and things that, that you can go to and enjoy. There's museums and all these things. But who wants to get mugged? You know, I'm handicapped. I'm, I'm legally blind. I, I, you know, walk around with a cane. I got dark glasses on. I can't really see that well. Uh, but I can't get around. You know, I, I do know how to get around with, 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 with the stuff I have. And, you know, even though there's beautiful parks in the Bronx, there's beautiful parks in Yonkers, there's beautiful parks in here in Queens even. Uh, but but generally speaking, you, you get worried walking too far away from where you live. Because at least, you know, where you live or where you're from, your, your neighbors in a way kind of form a protective blanket around you especially if you're someone disabled like myself and, and, and they kind of watch out for you, you know, and fairness to them, you know, Hey, I, I got, I got nice neighbors. Uh, maybe not the greatest in the world, maybe not the worst in the world, but Hey, they're nice. And, uh, in, in my part of, uh, Queens, uh, which is just off of Woodside near Jackson Heights, near that whole area, uh, pretty much, uh, within a certain distance from my home, I'm, I feel generally secure to a certain point, you know, obviously I'm not going to be, walking out at one o'clock in the morning and, uh, you know, uh, singing Kumbaya and hoping for the best, uh, obviously, uh, anywhere you, you've got to be, uh, worrisome, but this is what happened to a, uh, a diplomat, uh, here in New York city. He was just walking around with friends. A South Korean diplomat was punched on a New York city street Wednesday night by a random attacker who fled the scene. Officials said the assault unfolded near the corner of East 35th Street and 5th Avenue as the 53-year-old diplomat was walking with a friend at 8.10 p.m., according to the New York City Police Department. Now, the attacker didn't say anything, just came up and punched the South Korean official, uh, suffered a broken nose, uh, uh, the, the Korean showed his ID. To you know, to the attacker that he was that he was South Korean, and that he was a diplomat. Now, could this be one of those you know, uh, th those people specifically targeting people? This is just a mile southwest of the UN headquarters. It is in Manhattan's Koreatown. So you know, you go figure it out. Uh, obviously, this could have been a targeted attack. The attacker could have been paid. Uh, there could be reasons to intimidate this diplomat that we don't know about. Uh, you know, uh, Joe Biden doesn't like South Korea. Hey, I'm just saying, you know, and maybe, maybe they're not buying enough Hunter Biden, uh, uh, paintings in South Korea. Yeah, that's sad. That's very, very sad. We'll get back to you on that. I'm Mike of New York, and that is our Thursday edition. Noontime. Little afternoon. It's the afternoon edition. It's whatever. Hey, it's my podcast. We're up to the minute. I'm like coming on Thursday. And this is Mike of New York.